Now what? Gospel living. Matthew. I'm going to do it again. A little, a little review for those who missed last week. A little short review. And then we're going to expand what we talked about last week. Because I did Matthew. And, and when I get to the end of a book, I want to say some stuff about so what. And I'm, so I'm going to talk to you about uh, two things today. Number one, what do we do now that we've done it? What do we do now that we've received what God came to give us? Number two, what in the world is, is, this, is this conversation about heaven and earth? And I'm even going to slip in a little hell today. This will be fun. We started with the Great Commission last week, but I'm going to give you the Great Commission from John. This is where we started last week. I'm just so excited because I'm a, this is a passage that if I tell you the truth, we'd come to this passage and I would always go, I don't know what this means. Nevertheless, I tell you, this is Jesus before he died, just before he died. It's to your advantage that I'm going away. If I do not go away, the helper, say helper, will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And when he comes, who? To who? Ah. So is he sending the spirit to the world or to the church? Let's look at this. And when he comes, he will convict the world. Wait a minute. He's sending the spirit to who? To do what? Oh, guess what we're involved in? Convicting the world. Not by condemnation, but by demonstration. And guess what? The world is not convicted by us. It's offended by us. We got to fix that. So let's work on it. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Those three things, sin, righteousness, judgment. He's going to convict the world concerning sin. Look at it. Because they do not believe in me. Because listen, what really sin is, what really sin is, is someone has taken an arrow and they're shooting it. I saw a wonderful archery competition the other day between the Koreans and the Americans. You can figure how that one came out. They're good, man. No guns are good. And listen, sin, it's missing the mark. You're aiming at something and you miss. The world cannot believe in Jesus. He's not here for them to see. They missed him. So he sent us so that they can see him and go, what am I missing? What am I missing? All right, come on. And because because of sin and because they don't believe in me, concerning righteousness, when it comes to righteousness, when we think of righteousness and sin, most of us think of all the bad things people have done and and we, we all think of that stuff. But I always tell you that righteousness is 
this right here. These two people sitting on the front row connected to one another, their hearts, their lives, their minds, their souls are connected to one another and they act in a certain way because of this connection that they have. It, it governs them. It governs their life. It drives their life. Righteousness is relationship. Right wise comes from being set right. You want to have a great life? Be right with the person that you marry. That'll, that'll give you a great life. Again, I'm always, I'm always talking about this one here. This is Governor Gale. She sets me right. Because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. You can imagine how governing the presence of Jesus was on those he was around. But when he leaves, it's now us. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. I like this. The Great Commission deals with us and the powers in both. Well, I'll show you in a minute. So you got this? Let's go on. On the evening of that day, this is, where, this is a review from last week. If, if, if you were here last week, guess what I'll promise you? You just heard it again this week because what I said last week, I've never said anywhere before. I've never said it the way I've said it this last couple of weeks. And I've been with you for a long time. When I don't preach on passages, it usually means I don't think I understand them. Notice that when I do preach on passages, it means I think I understand them but I'm willing to get some more, to get some more light. <laughs> and that's why I always have room for people to say, Pastor, you just missed it again. On the first day of the week, the Jews, uh, the, 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 the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came, stood among them and said to them, peace be to you, which is always funny to me. Jesus shows up in a room full of terrified people and says, calm down. When he said this, he showed them his hands and sides. Calm down. And when the disciples were glad they saw the Lord, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. Look, look at this. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Well, that's encouraging. <laughs> you got, that's encouraging. And then he says, here's how we're going to do it. He says, receive the Spirit, and we know from the text that he breathed on them. He says he breathed on them. And I've told you last week that in, in the Hebrew text, the Spirit of God is Ruach Elohim, the breath of God. And then he says this wonderful thing, if you forgive the sins of any, and again, this is a passage that bothers me. Doesn't it bother you? If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. Charlie, if you forgive them, they're forgiven. So listen, if you take what he commissioned us for, he didn't send us out there to tell the world they're condemned. We're really good at that. We can stop now. I'm literally trying to stop. He sent us out to the world to say, we have a really big announcement. Sins are forgiven. 
And it's supposed to be so compelling coming from us that people say, well, tell us about that. And then we'll tell them how to receive. And we'll tell them how easy it is. It's not hard. It's easy. Can you breathe? You can receive. All right, I'm gonna keep pressing now because I'm, I'm pretty persuaded that, that in, my, in my senior age, I'm, which I'm still a young senior, okay? So I'm, a, I'm an adolescent senior. Wait, is, is that a category? All right. Gail says, the way you act, probably. All right. And then the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth. Say, in heaven and on earth. I got to get this message to you. In heaven and on earth. We still think of over there and over here. And I, and I want us to come to think of um, the, that heaven and earth were not created separately in the sense that the earth was heavenly when created. It was of heaven. It was of the stuff of heaven. And the, and the separation, what did sin do? It separated us from God. Guess what it also did? Separated heaven and earth. And it separated those realms for us. And whenever people hear me talk about heaven, I'm pretty, pers- pretty persuaded. There's, there's still, there's still a, a percentage of people who hear me say there's not a heaven. No. And because the language about going to heaven speaks of it being over there, people still think, you, you don't really believe. You mean you don't think we're going to heaven when we die? And I'm like, no, I think heaven and earth are going to be one and we're going to be fit for both. As Jesus was in his bodily resurrection. Okay. Now, he tells them he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And then he tells them to go and baptize in the name of the Holy Spirit. It's always this uh, relationship between what's going on in, uh, in heaven and on earth in the ministry that's being done. And the manifestation of that is always forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna come back to that. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go a little further. Okay, so all that was stuff I talked about last week. In Acts 1, so again, for people who get confused listening to my, because listen, I'm an ADD preacher. Instead of getting over ADD, I turned it into a communication style. Right? It's the kind of people who never finish a sentence. And, 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 uh, So what we've had already is we've had the great commission from John's gospel. We've had the great commission uh, from Matthew's gospel. And now we have the great commission from Luke who wrote Luke and Acts. So when they come together, they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because they still haven't got quite a heavenly mindedness going on about this. And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the father's fixed in his authority. In other words, I won't tell you the time, but I will tell you the agenda. You'll receive power. How many of you know when you come into a kingdom, you receive power? 
You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So basically what Jesus said is, not today, but very soon. And you'll be my witnesses. When you set up a kingdom, you have emissaries, ambassadors. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. When he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him up out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, and this heaven is not the heaven where immaterial, this is not, hmm. This is, this is the heavens above us. And of course, as he's going into the heavens above us, he also goes into the heavenly realm. Okay. And he took him and, and cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So now this is a clear speaking of a return of Christ. Okay, so that's really clear. So let's talk about heaven. Let's go back to Matthew one more time. I promise you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sew the threads together before I'm done. And I'm gonna have some help. Heaven in the, in the gospel of Matthew, is you, the word heaven is used 83 times. 32 of those times, it's in the context of the kingdom of heaven. Now, where is the kingdom of heaven in Matthew? Well, five of those times, he tells us it's at hand. So is that far away or near? You can reach it. It's at hand. It's right here. When Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven, I've said this a few times, all through the other gospels, it's kingdom of God. But Matthew is using a long-standing Jewish Hebrew tradition of not saying the name of God even in his writing. And so instead of saying God, he says heaven, because guess what? If you really want to know where heaven is, heaven is God's space. It's God's realm. The presence of God is heaven. Don't matter the locale. So people say, Alan, where are you going when you die? I'm going to my father. I'm going to the son. I'm going in the spirit to him. I ain't that worried about the locale. I'm worried about the revelation of the one who is hidden from me, but known to me. Kingdom of heaven. And he tells us about it 32 times. The phrase to heaven is used twice and it's basically exalted to heaven, speaking of uh, uh, enemy and look to heaven. So it's just used twice. The phrase in heaven is 26 times with 14 of those being the father in heaven, which means in the heavenly realm. Six times the word heaven is heavenly father. Six times the word heaven is uh, speaking of the angels in the context of heaven. And two times heaven is used speaking in the context of the clouds. And how many of you know that's a different use of the word heaven? That, that's, that's the atmosphere. All right. So those are the uses. How many times? Okay. 
Not once, as I say this all the time, not once is the way we do evangelism done in the Bible where it says, when you die, you'll go to heaven. Not once is that phrase used. I keep pressing this because I want people to get it. But I don't want you, A, to stop believing that heaven is, a, is literally a realm in which you will live forever. I just want you to understand it's not the best way to preach the gospel. It's been an inferior way of preaching it. We got to get better. All right. I want to show you something else that'll blow your mind. The use of hell in Matthew. How many times? Whoa. How many times? Boom. Now let's look at how hell is used because the word hell is an English word. It's a translation seven times of the word Gehenna, which basically means the garbage dump. The garbage dump is the place where the worms and the fire destroy everything. And this is where, this is where Jesus is saying to them most of the time, what it's gonna be tossed into, he, into hell. That is to say, be destroyed forever. Useless. There's not a there's not one, there's not a picture in that of but never mind. One time the word for hell is translation of the word Sheol, and that's where it says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Well, Hades is first of all a Greek god for the underworld. And second of all, it's a Greek usage of a term for the place of the dead in the Bible. And Hades is what is one of the things where it's, it's the business of Jesus came to conquer death and therefore to rescue those who have died. Got, you got it? So at least in Matthew, the way we preach the gospel is not very well attested. But I have really good news. The way to preach the gospel is really simple, much more simple than, than we've made it. Do you know that I was a really, really good witness for Jesus until people taught me how to witness for Jesus? I went through all kinds of discipleship when I was young and I learned all these discipleship presentations. I wouldn't use a one of them now. Now, I want you to know something. A lot of people have gotten saved by a lot of inadequate presentations because God likes to save people. It isn't because they were lying. It's just they weren't very well representing what God is saying to us. So here's the essence of what he's saying to us. Your sins are forgiven. Receive it. And instead of judgment for your sin, I'm gonna give you the breath of God to live by. I'm gonna put my Holy Spirit within you. Anytime people ask me how to conquer any kind of sin, I don't know anything about conquering sin. I just know about living in the spirit. <laughs> just, all right, now. Now, I'm tired of hearing myself, so I'm gonna show you something else. I want you to see a presentation that's been done really well about the interactions of heaven and earth from another voice. Let's take a look at this. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here, there's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. 
And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, but here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die. But this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world apart from Him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a clear distinction. So you said that these spaces can overlap though. So Explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like a hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God. But not just that, because the temple also creates problems. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of what do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the, the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible is all of heaven and earth reunited. Right, so we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now this word dwelling is really curious. Literally it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven. 
where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven. But we, we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but at least one big question in my mind, which is, what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over God's face to be with Jesus? Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's faith and human faith completely overlap once again. Yes! Man, that's what I've been trying to say. <laughs> so, so how does this work in practical ways? Because, listen, you used to go out and say, listen, can I ask you a question? And, and sometimes people say yes, and you say, well, um, if you were to die tonight, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? And we say it that way. Now, now listen. I want you to hear me when I tell you this. I'm not opposed to you doing that, but I'd like to change it. Um, because it's just not an adequate representation of how to do this. Because what that does is it makes heaven and hell to be the focus of the whole thing. And I'm telling you, avoiding hell is not a focus of the, uh, in the Bible of the gospel. Knowing God is the focus. And so, so when people say, uh, I think so, then you say, well, well, how do you know? And we kind of put them to a test. And then they tell you because of the good works that they've done or because they've been a good person. Or if you were from Mississippi, it's because I'm a good old boy. <laughs> and, 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 and whatever. That was literally how we would say it. And let me suggest this. You want, to be, you, want to, you want to give a biblical gospel? You would say it this way. Can I ask you a question? Do you know for sure that your sins are forgiven? I'd even say it a better way. I would say, I really just want to tell you something. Your sins are forgiven. Do you want me to tell you how you can know for sure that your sins are forgiven? 
And then you're talking about Jesus. You're not talking about heaven and hell. The gospel is about Jesus. It's not about eternal destinations. The good news was, good news, he's come. Good news, he's forgiven us. We're going to recast this thing and we're going to get this thing done. And now, so what I want us to do now is to become a people who are discipled like the disciples were discipled except with knowledge they didn't have. I want you to go back and read your gospels again, but I want you to read your gospels with this. Your assignment is to be like Jesus. Your assignment is to do what he did. Now, my, John Wimber and Randy Clark and all that strength, they've done a wonderful job of helping us reincorporate the miraculous signs and saying, uh, heal the sick, cast out demons, even raise the dead. They've done a wonderful job for us of that. But Jesus did much more than that. What did he do? Well, number one, he hung out with sketchy people. I want you to know something. I'm over being afraid that the sketchy people are going to make you sketchy again. Because if, if it does happen, Jesus knows how to sort you out. And I'm going to have a lot more confidence in Jesus than the idea that what I have to do is, is get you uh, rescued out of your sin. And then I got to put you in a vault until you die. I don't want to put you in a vault. What I want to do is put you in a syringe and shoot you into everybody. <laughs> Except all the people who are against vaccinations will now say, no, you can't preach the gospel that way. <laughs> There's no chemicals in Jesus, people. It's going to be all right. <laughs> but listen, I'll say it again from last week. What? God has done about the mess the world was in is send his son. That's what he did. What the son did about the mess the world is in is send us. You and I are the answer to what's going on in the world today. Whether it be natural disaster, personal failure, moral collapse, hopelessness, mental illness. You and I are what he has done about the problem that is. And guess what? You're probably still under construction. You can still do this while you're under construction. I want you to know that God sent all his disciples out when they were still filled with prejudice. Their prejudice did not keep them from being sent. But in the process of going, they got rid of their prejudice. Yes, I want Christians to get over being bothered by the people that are out there. You got to get over it. 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 No matter, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm telling you, something's happening to me. I've been reading my Bible again and it's bothering me. And it's bothering me. So, I, so I, part of what I want to say is, I want to say, say, well, Jesus didn't set up any social programs when, when he said, well, you know, and then he feeds 5,000 people. Well, I'm no better at feeding 5,000 people than I am at healing the sick. But that's the assignment. 
Can we talk? Listen, I'm convinced that when the church won't do what it's meant to do, the Lord will put the instincts of what he wants to do in the world in the hearts of people who don't yet know him and use that as a, as a cat of nine tails to whip the church into shape. Can we talk? The impulse, listen, I hate socialism, but the impulse that makes people want to help the poor is from God. The impulse that makes people want to have everybody have health care is from God. The means of those things are debatable and let's have a vigorous debate. But there's no debate that God wants people to be healthy, that he wants them to have their needs met, that he wants them to have food and shelter, that God wants people to be whole. There's no doubt about it. Now, the means that we get at all of that is through the way he taught us to preach the gospel. And I only have a few minutes for that. And since... Y'all are listening slower than they did last night. (laughs) I have to skip the Psalm 2 part because it's about the resistance. Because all I'm going to tell you is this, and you know it plainly. The powers that are in this world don't want Jesus' reign over them in any way, shape, or form. And so our job is to say, that doesn't matter. His reign is here anyway. And the representation of it is here. Your job is to go out and do exactly like Jesus did. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they'll say, where? And then put your hand on them. It's in us. It's in us. It's in our helplessness and our weakness and our inability. It's in our love. This is how we love the world. And yes, you can bring them here. You can catch them. You don't have to clean them. Just bring them. Just bring them. Now, this is about how the nations resist him, but God is just mostly amused at it and says it's not going to work out for them very well because he's going to rule. Simple as that. Got it? Okay. Three more passages and then we're done. Three more passages. All three of these passages do one thing. They announce the gospel the way it should be announced. All three of these gospels, this has just blown my mind. Your job is to go tell the world that their sins are forgiven. I have good news for you. There's not a sin problem. It's been taken care of. Sins are forgiven. And listen, Jesus one time, again, I'm starting to understand the Bible in ways that there's like three passages in here that I'm like, whoa, these things always bother me. It always used to bother me that he would say, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he would say, if you forgive people's sins, they're forgiven. And I would wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. minute. Isn't that a priest? Isn't that an apostle? No, it's you. And so Jesus could hammer home the whole point. I remember the time that Jesus went and the man was sick and 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 he said, Sir, your sins are forgiven. And the dude got up and walked, remember? And the people got apoplexy because Jesus forgave his sins. Remember that? And the healing validated that something must have happened. (laughs) And so, listen, the dude didn't repent. The dude didn't ask for it. Nothing. The dude laid there helpless. And Jesus said, I got news for you. Your sins are forgiven. Pick up your bed. You can go now. And then everybody, and all, everybody went, ah! <laughs> we can't swallow that big pill. You're gagging us. Only God can do that. Well, God commissioned us to do it. 
So go find somebody that's in the biggest mess they've ever been in. Go find somebody that's madder than you than anybody else. Go find somebody that's more alienated from you than anybody else and tell them, do you know what good news is? Your sins are forgiven and mine too. Say our sins are forgiven. And then you'll have a discussion about Jesus. So here we go, Acts chapter two. What happened? The spirit was poured out. Here's the connection before we go. The connection is the spirit and forgiveness. The spirit and forgiveness. Where do you get that from, pastor? Jeremiah 31. The first inference of new covenant. I'm gonna write my law in your heart and I'm gonna forgive their sin. And you and I know the way he writes his law in our heart is to give the Holy Spirit. So anybody who has received the Holy Spirit has the authority to forgive sins. Because you can give away what you've received. I know this is too audacious, but what we're doing is way too shy. Let all the house of Israel therefore know when they ask him what's going on, that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what do we do? And Peter said to them, well, repent and be baptized, every one of you. The word repentance is there. Repentance means change your mind. What are they changing their mind about? Jesus. And be baptized in his name. The guy you hated, you take his name as your, as your name. Be baptized in his name for the forgiveness of your sins. Because forgiveness is connected to Jesus. And then you, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, so, so Peter says, they said, there's something going on here. What's going on? And he said, well, it's the Holy Spirit. So now I'm telling you, they say, so well, what do we do? Well, your sins will be forgiven. Believe it and receive the forgiveness of your sins. And then you too will receive the Holy Spirit. Then when you receive the Holy Spirit, guess what you're going to do? You're going to go out and forgive sins. Go back to the John passage. We all still think that the Holy Spirit's up in, is going to hover in the air and convict everybody of sins. No, he's going to do it because Jesus is in your life. I, I, I'm still, I'm back to where I say to atheists, they say, you can't prove God exists. And I say, I am the proof he exists. They say, it must not be much. And I say, well, probably not, but, we, but I'm it. I'll double down. Well, this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. How many of you know we were the ones far off? And everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, that's me, a little further. Acts chapter five, they're, they're preaching, they're told to stop. They won't stop preaching and then I have to hurry. Peter says, Peter and the apostles answered, verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, the one you killed by hanging him on the tree. But God exalted him at his right hand as a prince and a savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has promised to those who obey him. So now in the spirit, he goes, announces forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins opens the door for them to receive the spirit. And now they announce it. Are you getting this? Acts chapter 10. Now we're at Cornelius's house. And I want you to get this. We're, we're having a man go into earth space from heaven space. 
The Jews were kingdom people. This is where it took years and time for Peter to deal with his prejudice. He couldn't go to Cornelius' house because Cornelius' house was sin space, earth space, devil space. And God says, not if you go in there. It becomes heaven space. So he sends him in there to, to, um, uh, to Cornelius' house. In verse 42, as he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God as the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness and everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who had the word. This man filled with the Spirit goes announces, the, goes announces to the people that, that are hearing that their sins are forgiven and the Holy Spirit falls on them. Listen, I want you to notice something about the work of the Spirit as it's given in the book of Acts. <laughs> this is so much fun because nobody says, okay, now Spirit come into my life. They're just believing and the spirit comes. I'm telling you, you want to you know what, what, people always talk about the next revival. I don't know what the next revival will be, but I'm wanting a revival where that when people announce the forgiveness of sins, the spirit falls on the crowd who's hearing it because they believe. The spirit just falls on the crowd and they'll say, what's wrong? something's happening to us, what's happening to us? And you say, well, change your mind, turn away from what you've been believing, believe on his name and receive him. Be filled with Holy Spirit, it's 1145, stand up. <laughs> One of my discipling of my pastoral staff is to tell them there's an appointed time the people know it whether you do or not. Is this fun? Is this fun? So listen, I commission you by the authority of the gospel to announce the forgiveness of sins everywhere you go. Everywhere you go. And listen, personalize it. Don't you ever hesitate to look at somebody that you don't even know their state and say to them, I have some good news for you. Your sins are forgiven. And then the conversation that follows is going to open the door because people want to know something good, not something bad. All the evangelistic presentations I ever had sent me out to tell people that they were condemned in sin. Have you ever once sinned? And I've been in arguments with people over what sin was and what they did and whether there's bad enough. Oh God, help me. No. <laughs> no more. No more. I'm an announcer of good news. So if you're hearing the sound of my voice, your sins are forgiven today. And if you've not received the full assurance of it, you can call on the name of Jesus and he will pour his full assurance into the vessel of your life. And you'll never need a temple again for holy space because the temple of your body is his holy space. And everywhere you go, you can go with this announcement. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, that's it, is here. Heaven is here.
Hallelujah. I've always told you. You and me together, it's heaven. <laughs>